Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and we're here as usual at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. Um, so it's the season we start to see Brussels sprouts and uh, chicories, fall chicories, and we start cooking with uh, sort of more uh, rough vegetables. <laughs> um, and what better book to explore that a bit is uh, than a book I'm holding right now. It's called Bitter, A Taste of the World's Most Dangerous Flavor. With recipes, and it's written by Jennifer McLaughlin. Uh, sorry, Jennifer McLagan, and she's on the phone right now from Perry. How are you? <laughs> Hi there. I said that sort of like half French. I was like Perry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I wanted to say the, like Paris, but it didn't come out that way. I know um, Perry. Perry sounds so much better, you know. And here's like it's just the perfect time now to be going out and having like a little bit of cocktail before dinner. Well, I'm having um, just. In, in Ode to You right now, I'm having a coffee without milk, uh, <laughs> trying to drink it black. Um, no, I like bitterness, and I'm, I really like your book. This is such a fun book. Um, it is your th- fourth, or uh, you've written yeah, many books, book, yeah. fourth book, and you've written about bones. Um, mm-hmm. You've written about fat. Yeah. Um, sort of, it was the, the subtitle was like the undersung flavor of, of fat with recipes. And then you've also written about awful. So now we have bitterness, um, a complete exploration of this, uh, this plant. And, and why, why did you choose bitterness? Do you, do you see a new appreciation for it in the world? Yeah, well, I guess I, from, you can see from my other books, I'm kind of a little contrarian. I like to mm-hmm. pick kind of unloved topics and give them some love and rehabilitation. And I think bitterness was just ready to be uh, talked about and written about because, um, as you know, finally we've realized that cocktails aren't like appletinis and crantinis that actually have bitterness in drinks, and that's become really popular, and there's this huge rise in artisanal bitters. And so I'm thinking that now people are ready to go from the bar into the kitchen, right? They're, they're, okay, they're tasting these drinks, and they're seeing how wonderful they are, right. and now they're ready to cook with some bitter flavors as well. Well, funny you should mention uh, bitters and cocktails because I've wrangled on another guest today, and he is the co-founder of Bitterman Spirits. It's Meyer Sabareo. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Um, so uh, Meyer is a cocktail expert, um, vermouth f- uh, formulator, uh, formulator extraordinaire. And, um, you know, I got to say, with, like, the new wave of cocktail appreciation, um, not only is it about, like, kind of the more old-fashioned 
literally, <laughs> old-fashioned cocktails and the spirits being used, not just vodka, it's really, it comes down to that flavor of bitterness that we see more and more. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, what, uh, what Jennifer's book has, you know, pretty clearly illustrated as well is um, how much bitterness is a stimulant. Um, you know, I constantly tell people, I mean, again, having having run a bar that was entirely specialized in brown bitter stirred cocktails, but also um, having made all sorts of different kinds of bitters and spirits, you know, the primary focus has always been on the fact that, you know, because we're so sensitive to bitterness, bitterness is a great way of elevating our palates. It's a great way of stimulating them. It's a great way of making us think more about our drinks and about our food. It's, you know, not a, it's, it's, it's sort of almost the opposite of the way you look at drinks that are boozy or drinks that are sour, where you're not trying to overpower the palate, you're trying to wake it up, you're trying to get mm -hmm. people to think. And Jennifer, you explore that in, in a lot of your recipes in this book, too. Um, you mentioned that it's a great way to open the palate for, for a multi-course meal through, through uh, appetizers, like a bitter green salad, something as simple as that. Yeah, because it is kind of an appetite stimulant. You know, we have receptors for bitterness all through our system, and important ones are in our intestines and in our stomach, and it really gets our appetite going. And the other good thing about bitterness is that it keeps your um, appetite going. So if you have a very rich meal, something bitter at the end of it will actually help you digest your meal as well. Mm. You know, the thing about bitterness is it's satisfying in a sense too especially in the cocktail world because it actually quenches your thirst i think much more than something sweet does oh so i can i can have that after my yoga class <laughs> nice little cocktail <laughs> well, I find, after you know, the yoga. thing i've discovered is from making my own tonic water how much better that gin and tonic tastes in the summertime than it does with something sugary and sweet out of a can oh i guess so you know my ear was just telling me about how they're they're making tonic water nowadays um, at Bitterman's very exciting development. Absolutely. Uh, so tonic water is meant to quench. That's that's the whole point. The uh, qu quinine in it. Oh, well, not? yes, I think the quinine. Well, I mean, it was a way of disguising the quinine. It was a way to take mm. in the quinine, but uh, it is extremely thirst quenching. Even it's even delicious without the gin. <laughs> um, I love how you write that bitterness is sort of a double-edged sword. It can indicate toxins, but it can also indicate. Mm beneficial things so it's you know one or the other hopefully you'll get the right one because <laughs> you well, know well yes but also you have to remember with something that's toxic it, it's the amount that you take so you know with some things that are toxic you can take very small amounts of them they're not going to kill you but mm. they're actually going to stimulate your nervous system and they're going to alter how you feel so that cup of coffee that you're drinking now uh, the caffeine in that is like stimulating your brain, so it's actually making you're getting a benefit from the toxic part of it as well, right? Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> too much caffeine is, as we all know, not good. Um, no, exactly. You can have too much of it. It's, it's the amount that you take. So anything like that, it's it's just kind of interesting how hmm. how it works, bitterness, and and that's what kind of makes it. I think are really an adult taste or an adult flavor. You know, you have to learn to like that bitterness. And then after a while, you forget some things are bitter altogether because you really like how they make you feel. And in addition to like an espresso at the end of the meal, um, we were talking a little bit about digestives, and that's a traditional end of the meal drink. Well, absolutely. I mean, and, and everybody has their own, you know, Germans have their own people, people, you know, 
look at Jägermeister as a, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a frat boy thing now, but it's actually a very classic hallowed part of a family of liqueurs called Kräuter liqueurs, which are basically, you know, the German after dinner bitter, you know, likewise with the Italian Amari and with the French Jonsians and all those, all of those things are really meant as, you know, great ways to, to finish a meal and, you know, and, and, and digest properly. It's so funny because um, it, it is so, uh, it is such a, I guess, I don't know how to say it. It's such an intense flavor when you drink these digestives in tiny cups. It also, to me, it seems like a great way to, it's like a palate cleanser. Um, I don't know about cleanser. That's not the right word I'm going for. But it it makes my palate kind of relieved after all the richness that I just ate. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, you know, and I didn't realize this before, I was really surprised with myself having written a book on animal fat. But, you Mm -hmm. know, fat and bitterness are perfect partners. Mm. Or they balance each other really well. Bitterness, um, bitterness yes. like balances the richness of the fat. It helps you digest it. And you put fat, which I mean, we all do with like um, a dandelion green salad, or we put that hot bacon dressing on there, and mm-hmm. that's the way you tame the bitterness and make it uh, more palatable. So, so they are kind of perfect partners. So, at the end of a, a meal, any kind of meal, you have something like a digestive, and it just it doesn't really cleanse your palate. It just eases everything. It, you know, it just makes you feel not so full, and it helps your digestive system keep on on working. And it's it's like a perfect. And every culture has some kind of digestive drink. Mm. Now you do say in your subtitle that it is the world's most dangerous flavor. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know. Uh, it is because it can, you know, bitterness can kill you. This, this bitterness does signal toxins. So it's like through time we've actually learned which bitter things we can eat and mm-hmm. which ones we can't, you know, which ones we need to cook before we eat them. It's kind of something that's been passed down through, through the generation. And, you know, I'm thinking more and more about just the, the general American uh, dining habits. I, I feel like bitterness has been really left to the wayside. Um, and I imagine that's yeah. why you wrote this book, um, exploring it. But uh, what are we losing in, in return, uh, in exchange? Like, what, what are the effects of not enough bitterness, I guess? Well, I think the thing is, you know, people probably think I have a, a, a book full of things, that are recipes that are going to taste extremely bitter. And mm-hmm. not many of them actually do, except perhaps bitter melon and something like that. But what bitterness does, it's like an important part of the uh, flavor spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. when you add salt to something, it, it highlights the flavor or a squeeze of lemon. It doesn't make those things taste salty or acidic. It, it just completes the flavor spectrum. And I think that if you leave bitterness out, you're losing something in your flavor. It adds a complexity and depth. You know, I think my best favorite example is to talk about caramel. Now, Mm. people say caramel, that's sweet, right? But yes, but the best caramel has a little bit of bitterness. You know, when you cook that sugar just when it's smoking, before it burns, and then you make your caramel sauce, that caramel is not nearly as sweet, and it's got much more depth and interest to eat. So that's what bitterness does. It adds complexity and interest and a depth of flavor. It is interesting, and I, I loved how you did a lot of research on the flavor of bitter and how we have just categorized flavors throughout the years. And you you wrote that, um, I think it was not Plato, but one of the... Um, oh, Linnaeus, my favorite guy, because okay. he uh, classified Sincona. 
um, he, I mean, when he, in the 18th century, there was 11 basic flavors. You know, it, it's right. interesting, ba- basic taste. You know, I think it's kind of interesting how we narrow ourselves down to just a few, and I think that's wrong. I think, you know, now mm-hmm. we, only ha- we narrowed it right down to four, you know, sweet, salty, um, um, bitter, and sweet. And then we added umami, even though the Japanese have been talking about it for a century before we agreed with them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the French and the Australians have added fat, which, of course, is a flavor. And maybe we should think about adding soapy and pungent. And, you know, like, why do we narrow it down so much? I think we need to expand how we think about flavor and taste. It seems like we've simplified. Um... Yeah, I think there's always a, you know, there's always a tendency. People like things to be simple. It just makes it easy. But really, f- flavor is really complex, right? And, right. and what was interesting about doing the book is that you and I and everybody lives in their own little flavor world. I can't believe this, but Pla- it was Plato and Aristotle that you wrote about the- in your book um, who identified uh, six and then eight uh, for yep. taste. And then Aristotle uh, or, oops. well, somebody, one of them thought that basically at one end of the spectrum you have sweet and at the other you have bitter and then all the other tastes are somewhere in between which i thought was very strange yeah exactly yeah yeah (laughs) we have so many different understandings about taste throughout the years um but certainly in in cocktails i see bitterness um as a really key player um i for one cannot stand really sweet cocktails um sweetness has really taken a huge spotlight it seems in cocktails whereas traditionally or you know medicinally um bitterness was the the only flavor right well i mean it's you know if you the 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 original cocktail is is booze bitters and sugar um relatively heavy emphasis on the bitters and relatively low emphasis on the sugar you know and again you know what what i always point out to people you know which is also um what what jennifer was just saying is that um you know you're not adding bitter you're not adding bitters to a drink to make it bitter. You're adding bitters to a drink to amplify the other flavors. And so what you mm-hmm. end up with with a prevalence of sweetness in cocktails is actually a muting of all the other flavors. Um, it's one of the reasons why you, you can actually, you know, see, you know, why, especially, you know, starting in the 60s and 70s, you saw all these drinks with vodka. Because at that point, it kind of didn't even matter what your base spirit tasted like. <laughs> you were basically just using it as a delivery device for, for the alcohol. And, you know, and so you see the prevalence of all these drinks that just don't have bitters. And bitters literally mm-hmm. just vanished off the shelf after Prohibition. Um, and, you know, whereas, whereas, yeah, I mean, if you look at more evolved cocktails and you look at what bartenders are reaching for, even very accessible cocktails, you know, will use a lot of different kinds of Amari and bitters and, and bitter flavors because, you know, those cocktails are accessible, but they're also delicious. And, you know, a lot of the deliciousness is lent by the complexity that bitters bring. And, um, you know, just briefly, let's talk about beer a second. Um, you know, we have two shows on Heritage Radio about beer, but and there's a huge renaissance of beer, just like cocktails nowadays. And it's all about the bitterness, um, hop heads, you, you might call them. And, you know, where bitterness is king and then that's, that's a huge player. Um, people crave it. So, and, and, you know, it's not just Bud Light anymore. No. So I love how you writ, how you wrote about that too, Jennifer. 
Um, you know, and- that, that, that's what's interesting, because usually, I mean, before you always think of American beers as not being bitter at all, unlike mm-hmm. English and German beers. And now it seems that hops are, are becoming the big new crop in, in, in the States, you know, and people are growing different kinds of hops with different pro- uh, flavor profiles. And what's interesting with hops, you know, they added bitterness to beer, but they also helped to preserve it, right? Hops are such an interesting plant. And uh, what I found was Expensive absolutely fascinating. In Belgium, they actually eat the shoots. Mm-hmm. of the hop plant, oh. right, like a white asparagus, and it's like extremely expensive nice. vegetable that's specially cultivated. For any um, beer beer nerds out there, Jennifer has a recipe for beer jelly, beer soup, <laughs> uh, mussels and beer, which is always good, um, and bratwurst and beer. So it's Oktoberfest. Enjoy. Um, <laughs> so we're just going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more about bitter. You're listening to Touching the Surface by Dreams. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live to the cosmos from the backyard at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. All right, we're back chatting with author Jennifer McLagan um, of Bitter, the world's most in- 
dangerous flavor with recipes. And Meyer Superea, co-founder of Bitter Men's <laughs> Spirits. Um, so, uh, you know, we were talking about drinks. And I love this book because there's so many historical anecdotes and tidbits and, and long extended essays throughout. And I came across like uh, this, for example, on the world's, the bitterest plant in the world. And... Okay, so I, you know, going through this book, I'm like, yes, I know cardoons, I know turnips. Okay, cool, I know, I like that. Um, and then I come across uh, gentian, which is a root, I understand, that makes a, uh, what do you call it, a bitter called yeah. soup? <laughs> Who wants to? It makes a lot of bitters, almost okay. every bitter. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm Angus sure Maya will agree, every bitter has gentian in it. It's, it's like the most bitterest plant, you know, they, uh, you can have uh, a, a single uh, gram in like 15,000 gallons of water and that water will still be bitter. Huh. Absolutely. And I mean, the other thing about, about gentian, which uh, Jennifer does mention is, you know, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting plant because it bitters things on its own. So if you have, you know, Angostura or Campari or any number of other uh, liqueurs, pretty much all of our liqueurs use gentian as a base. Um, mm -hmm. It adds a, a, a bitter, qua bitter backbone. But then at the same time, gentian itself has its own flavor. Um, it's got a really kind of, and, and it's a very unique kind of earthy, rooty, um, musty? and musty, but also on, on, on the other side, kind of floral flavor. Um, and, you know, I think gentian and wormwood are both very interesting because they're both traditionally used in a lot of bitters. And um, speaking of danger um, <laughs> earlier, you know, wormwood is fascinating because, of course, you know, wormwood has a really bad reputation. Um, wormwood is pretty much the principal um, botanical agent in absinthe. And um, for ages, absinthe was deemed dangerous because there's a chemical called thujone in wormwood, which is actually in high concentrations very, very bad for you. It's very bad for your liver. Uh, and we actually made something, which I highly encourage everybody to try, which is a wormwood aquavit, which is very, very high in wormwood. But we had to do it about 10 times for 10 different recipes um, of the Bosca Snops, which is what it's called, uh, because uh, we kept on hitting that, that, that limit <laughs> <laughs> of toxicity. So, so it's delicious. It's super bitter. But, you know, we, we definitely had to, had to kind of skate the edge with it. Oh, Wow. And, and um, not only can you make, uh, you know, spirits, cocktails, um, and and different bitters, but Jennifer, you cooked with these, so you have a, you have, you know, a sous sorbet. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I have some uh, Jensen right here from the oven in my cupboard. Um, the sous sorbet is wonderful, and these things like you can add a little bit of these bitters. I mean, I use frenet bronca when I saute chicken livers. One because I had a bottle of frenet bronca and I wasn't really drinking it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you add a little few drops of these alcohols to something that's sweet, like chicken livers with caramelized onions, mm. and it just makes that flavor fabulous, right? I can see it's that. just interesting. And, and wormwood is a really interesting drink. You know, it got so much bad press. And it got banned, but usually most of the problem people had with it, 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 it had a very, absinthe had a very high alcohol content. So it wasn't right. really the wormwood right. in yeah, there. What I tell people, people were just drinking way too much alcohol. Yes. Yeah, when you're drinking 150 proof alcohol, yeah. it's... Yeah, uh, you're going to yeah. be ill. <laughs> it's not <laughs> no, going to make you feel good. It's not the wormwood's fault. Yeah. Um, I thought it was also interesting that we measure bitterness. Um, uh, there's, uh, how bitter is it? Um, you write about gentian a single gram mm -hmm. dissolved in a 15,000 gallons of water will turn the water 
bitter. So yeah. that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty, uh, pretty bitter. But it is, you know, like Maya says, it's very interesting to drink. When they make Susan and Jensen, um, you can buy these alcohols, and they're really quite interesting to drink. Um, Meyer was telling me anecdotally over on the, our way that uh, you can smell it too, um, yards away. This gentian. Yeah, yeah this one of our one of our liqueurs is um, the uh, the Amer Sauvage is based on um, a, a, a gentian eau de vie, and um, the producer of that gentian eau de vie is a friend of mine who lives in in the Jura, and he you know he just brought a bottle and opened it at one end of the bar that I was sitting at, and people at the other end of the bar could smell it. It's and just complete. like it, it's it's. <laughs> It, it smells. Oh, I mean, wow. it smells like an alpine wow. meadow, basically. <laughs> that smells pretty good to me, or yeah. sounds pretty good. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it's a fascinating ingredient, um, and you know, filled with all these nuances too. And one thing I loved uh, reading this book is that there's no one one flavor of bitter. It's like this. It's this umbrella term under which many other categories of bitterness live. Um, yeah. So yep. we just have, a, I guess, an archaic way of describing <laughs> the flavor. Oh, well, you know, I um, think it's really interesting. I, I think that's what makes bitter the most interesting mm. of what we like to call the basic taste. Because, you know, we would all sit down at a table and we'd probably all agree that that was salty or sweet mm-hmm. or sour or even maybe we might agree on umami. But bitter will all we probably disagree on for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Because bitterness ra- ranges from something like a celery leaf, which is mildly bitter, right through to bitter melon or jensen, which is extremely bitter. So it, it, it's a it's a huge range. You know, there's lots of different chemical combinations that signal bitter to the brain, whereas with you know sugar and um, and acids, acids are the only thing that signals sour. So mm-hmm. it's a much more comprehensive, interesting, and intriguing uh, taste to work with. You mentioned bitter melon, uh, also known as kukua in in Chinese. Um, And I have an interesting story because in in Taiwan, um, uh, where I've been many times, uh, people drink it like as fresh fresh fruit stands. Um, You'll drink kukua juice straight. I think much in the same way we would drink a wheatgrass shot, whereas we know it's really good for you. It'll cleanse your gut. You know, it has so many great beneficial characters to it, but it is so strikingly bitter. I tried to prepare it for for um, a number of friends as part of a dinner. People hated uh-huh. it, hated it, <laughs> but it is really good for you. <laughs> so... Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting because someone was telling me that in the Philippines they put a few drops of bitter melon juice on babies' tongues. And as I explained, babies and small children have more taste buds than adults, so it must be, like, extremely bitter for them. But it's hugely beneficial. You know, like, it, it, it's a whole lot of studies being done for, like, uh, reducing cancer cells, yeah. reducing sugar levels for diabetes. And so bitter melon is one of those kind of wonder Whoa. vegetables, but it is very bitter. Uh, I, I first, when you said that about the baby's tongue, I thought they were trying to get the babies like early acclimated to the flavor or something. <laughs> <laughs> but that is really fascinating. Um, and speaking of, I thought the coolest discovery you made um, is something that you're still continuing to learn about. Um, in the epilogue for your book, you write that you discovered a whole world of animal-based bitter flavors, whereas this book is based on vegetable Based yeah. flavors. Yeah, it was interesting because I, I guess I wanted to tell people I don't just eat bones, fat, and odd bits. You know, I do eat occasional vegetables. So, um, <laughs> but um, I, you know, I never really thought you don't think of bitterness so much in the animal world. And again, in the, in the Philippines, I have a friend, and uh, he said, uh, you know, in his fridge, his partner had put this like green 
bag in the freezer and said, oh, that's just pesto sauce. So he took it out and mixed it with something. And it was actually car bile. Now, I didn't even know you could get car bile. And it's extremely bitter. He How do you capture the anything cow? like that, which they mix it in with a, a stew with innards and tripes and all different bits, which sounds fabulous. So here I am, like, thinking, I've done a whole book and I've left out car bile. <laughs> and this is for real. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, perhaps not the easiest ingredient to pick up at your local supermarket, but still, you know, it's fascinating, right? It is really fascinating. What I'm curious, what other um, animal-based bitter um, flavors have you come across? Um, Well, you know, my editor told me about a a marinated cod's roe that the Japanese eat that's kind of bitter. Because usually bitterness with animal products isn't a good thing, right? Usually signals something that's really gone off. But I'm sure there's other things I'm yet to find out. That's what I love about working in the food world, right? You learn something new every day. That is really fascinating about the cow bile. Um, Actually, I think whale vomit <laughs> is um it's oh, a perfume no it's a perfume <laughs> just just i don't know if you want to write it if you want to jennifer if you want to write a book about animal vomit vomit <laughs> uh, <laughs> this could be really interesting i'm sorry i have enough problem with the books i write now thanks <laughs> no okay so i was gonna say that um early in the beginning and didn't get to it but this book is so unique i love how you come across recipes you come across ingredient profiles and you have a history it seems part cookbook part personal narrative part expose uh what do you call this type of this genre that you're writing I, I hope you call it interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think sometimes cookbooks are just recipes and mm-hmm. um, I think you need to give some people something else. You know, I mean, I just start and I find things that are interesting to me from like Picasso doing a painting of Suze or a, a collage of oh, Suze wow. to, you know, uh, it just is interesting to me. So I put it down the book and I hope it's interesting to someone else as well. And then they're recipes, you know. Well, I think it's a great great i don't know what to call the genre i want to call it a a food exploration expose but um i just love the that single um single kind of niche focus you you know i think it's important you know food is culture so Mm -hmm. food can encompass you know in in my odd bits i had poetry you can have poetry you can have art you can have literature you can have everything in a cookbook because food is part of our culture. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this cookbook. And um, thank you also, Meyer, for joining in on the cocktail expertise. Um, and that's about all the time we have for today's episode. Um, thanks for calling in. And thanks, everyone, at Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs like on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.